what's going on. Happy Friday and welcome to Chatterbox Reds. My name is Nick Kirby. Chatterbox Reds is your daily home for live post-game shows after every Reds game on YouTube and podcasts like you're listening to right now, always available bright and early the morning after every Reds game. We are presented, as always, by Beth Fred Sportsbook. Coming up on today's show, I interviewed Elijah Evans of Just Baseball, who was in Birmingham this week. He saw the Chattanooga Lookouts, and more importantly, Nick Lodolo, who was on a rehab start. Excited for you to hear his thoughts on all of that. Trace Fowler also interviewed Charlie Goldsmith of the Cincinnati Inquirer. We'll play that interview. I'll recap all the Reds minor league action from Thursday night and preview tonight's game against the Toronto Blue Jays. But first, here's where things stand for the Cincinnati Reds entering Friday. Reds were off on Thursday, but they got some more help in the National League Central race. The Brewers got swept in a three-game series against the Dodgers. They scored just a total of three runs on ten hits in the entire series. Reds are now just two back in the NL Central race, tied with the Cubs. And just how wild is baseball? Reds, of course, went 3-10 and ten against the Brewers, but the Reds went 4-2 and two against the Dodgers. The Brewers, they went 1-4 and four against the Dodgers. So maybe we should probably not make big deals out of individual series. <laughs> Everyone ahead of the Reds in the NL wildcard race was off, so the Reds remain in a three-way tie with the Cubs and Marlins for the final wildcard spot. Reds are just a game and a half behind the Giants, who hold the second NL wildcard spot, and the Reds are three and a half behind the Phillies, who hold the first wildcard spot. The Diamondbacks were the only team of relevance that was in action, and they beat the Padres on Thursday night. So the Diamondbacks have crept to just one game behind the Reds, Cubs, and Marlins. Padres, they're the next team back, but they are all the way back at five games back. Some Reds news from Thursday. The Reds signed veteran left-handed relief pitcher Jason Sharif to a minor league contract, and he will report to Louisville. Sharif was recently DFA'd by the Tigers. He's 32 years old, and he has pitched in 364 major league games. Uh, he has a 4.79 ERA this year for the Tigers in over 40 innings pitch. But most stats like XERA, FIP, XFIP, say so probably should be closer to an even four. So certainly some depth for the Reds uh, with another left-handed reliever. All right, well, here's my interview with Elijah Evans of Just Baseball talking about his uh, experience down in Birmingham watching the Chattanooga Lookouts this week. All right, joined now by Elijah Evans of Just Baseball. And Elijah, you were down in Birmingham. You got to see uh, the Chattanooga Lookouts. First off, tell everyone, why were you down in Birmingham watching our Chattanooga Lookouts this week? Yeah, I'm spending the whole week in Birmingham, Alabama, which is uh, which has been fun, honestly. So I'm uh, I'm doing a lot of, as many people that have heard me talk before, I'm a big White Sox guy. I do a lot of White Sox prospect stuff. So uh, they're playing the Barons, which is the White Sox AA affiliate. And right now the White Sox have probably 12 of their top 15 prospects all at the same team right now. Um, it's just kind of a, a cool little spot where a lot of the guys acquired recently in the trades and that have been just developing within the system. It's the majority of the minor league talent for the White Sox is in Birmingham right now. So I'm able to to interview and talk with uh, with most of the White Sox top prospects this week, which has been great. And, you know, simultaneously check out some of the Reds guys. And, you know, the Reds, obviously the Reds, as most people know, don't have a lot of their top guys in double A, uh, but there's been some fun people to watch and especially being lucky enough to be here for a Lodolo rehab start. So it's been cool. Jump right in. Tell us about the, 
the big Nick Lodolo first rehab start. You just happened to be in attendance. It was perfect timing that you were there. Uh, so we can get a, a actual report from someone who was uh, in Birmingham. Yeah, it was great. I was sitting behind the plate watching some of his stuff, taking some videos. And, and Lodolo, you know, his as Reds fans know, it, it really just comes down to the command with him. If he if he's throwing strikes, the, the dude is deadly. And the first inning, he walked two guys. He looked a little bit shaky. He couldn't quite find that fastball spot. And then the next two innings was electric. And his slider was as good as I feel like it's been since last season. Um, I think we really saw like the, the full level of his slider this week. And I think it's only going to keep getting more comfortable. Uh, and then he really settled into the command with the fastball. And with him, with Lodolo, I mean, if he's working that fastball all over the zone, especially in the high parts of the zone and pairing it with that slider, it's it's a really good combination. And I mean, I think he's expected to start this weekend, I believe. I think Sunday, I want to say, is when he's starting with Louisville. Um, and then from there, you know, he's he should be ready soon enough. I, I liked a lot of what I saw from him. It looked like, you know, his stuff was there and it's just really going to be about continuing to build back command. But if the stuff's there, I think the Reds, the, the situation the Reds are in right now, they're okay with risking it on his command a little bit if his stuff is completely back. And, you know, his stuff was there and his fastball on top of that, um, his fastball was was at or even above the velo that it was at earlier this year. So I, I looked on, on Savant earlier this week when I was at the game and I believe he was sitting 93.2 um, with the Reds this season before he went down with the injury. He was consistently hitting 94 at this game. So and considering it was his first, you know, affiliated rehab start outside of rookie ball, seeing him, you know, can, like many times hitting the 94 mark was is definitely a good sign. Yeah, it's definitely encouraging because I know Hunter Green in his first rehab start with Louisville was not hitting. Now he obviously throws a lot harder, so a little bit of a difference there, but uh, definitely very encouraging to hear that. All right, uh, probably, I guess, the Reds' top prospect down at Chattanooga now. I know that that team, like you mentioned, is is pretty depleted. Probably uh, one of the more least interesting teams to watch, but there are still a couple of really good players that I'm interested in. So the top guy right now would be Reese Hines. What was your thoughts on him this week? Yeah, he hasn't done a ton in these games I've seen from him. I mean, Hines is a guy who he has plus power. When he really taps into that power, you're looking at a guy with, you know, 25, 30 homer upside. He's got 19 this year, and and he pairs it with really good speed. So I think Hines is kind of um, one of those rare blends of speed and power, which you don't see too often these days. And and he's, I mean, I, I think he, he has some whiff issues, and I noticed, you know, in, in some of these games against, you know, two of the the last three nights have all been some of the White Sox better pitching prospects. So guys who are, you know, all three of the guys that threw this week for the Sox are guys who could be in Chicago like next year, realistically. So that's some high competition for him to be facing. And he held his own. He definitely had a, a fair amount of strikeouts in the last few days, but he also just has a really fluid swing and somebody who I could see as he continues to work on those bat to ball skills, his power is there and his speed is there. So with him, it's really just going to be about continuing to work on that approach and that swing to, to reduce his strikeout rate a little bit. I think it's the, the strikeout numbers are a little higher than you'd like to see for, you know, a guy that's in double a, he's got 130 strikeouts this year, which is a little bit alarming. Um, but also again, the 19 home runs, 27 doubles and 16 stolen bases. So he's a guy with a lot of offensive upside and for him, the ability to kind of take it to the next level next year is really going to come down to how much he can reduce that whiff rate and the chase rate. Probably isn't a fair question to you as a guy that was really there to, to watch the White Sox players. Did you notice anything about Heinz's defense uh, when he was out in the field? So he played, he DH two of the three games that I've seen. 
So I don't have, I, I can't say that I have a ton of intel on his defense. I think, I mean, from from today's game, today he was playing in right. So I think, I mean, he didn't look bad. I didn't notice anything particularly stand out. I think the White Sox had a lot of like line drive singles, so he didn't have a ton of plays today. Um, but I think, I, I don't know. I mean, I've heard, I haven't heard necessarily great things about his defense, but I also don't think he's, you know, a negative defender. I don't know how much you know about his, his past defense, um, but I think he is DHing a decent amount, so that might be a little bit of a concerning point, um, but I don't think he was particularly bad. I've heard very mixed reviews. That's why yeah. I was, uh, <laughs> that's why I was curious, but, but if he was DHing, if he was DHing twice this week, uh, not, a, not a whole lot you could take from that. Uh, let's move on to the guy that's uh, probably, I guess, going to win the Reds minor league player of the year this year. Uh, and Blake Dunn, who just had an incredible year. I know he had a good night tonight. We're recording this on Thursday. Uh, your thoughts on Blake Dunn this week? Blake Dunn is impressive, man. I didn't know a ton about him. I knew the name, but I hadn't seen all that much about him. He's a really impressive player, and he's done some crazy things this year. His numbers have been unbelievable. Um, and, you know, he showed it. He showed it this week. I, I was, I, I've been impressed with everything I've seen from him. He really displays, you know, a wide range of offensive ability. He kind of hits the ball to all, all fields. He's versatile. He hits for average. He gets into some of the power. You know, 43 stolen bases, 16 home runs, and OPS over 900 this year um, between two levels. And what's even more impressive from Dunn is he's gotten better in a much harder league. So, you know, earlier this year, he had a, he had an 871 OPS in high A and now he's up to 959 in double A and he looked great this week. I mean, he had, he had some, he had a steal in one game. He had today, he had a double in the gap that you could just, I mean, the speed was easy to tell. He probably could have gone for three um, considered. I mean, it looked like he was, he was thinking about it for sure. Uh, he almost went for three on that double, but he's, he's, he looked great. I, I really was impressed by him and he's an, you know, he's an older guy. So I think a 24 year old in double a, I don't think it's a guy you're necessarily projecting. And he's, he's ranked in the, I want to say in the twenties range of reds prospects. Um, if I'm think, remembering right, but I, I think he's, I mean, as a 15th round pick from two years ago, he's, he's shown a lot. And this year he's just been unbelievable. Really. He was good last year and he's taken it up even another level this year. So I know the reds have, have plenty of young hitters in their system, but he's a guy who like, we should, he should be in triple A next year. And he should be, you know, he, if at worst case, he's, you know, a fourth outfielder type, that's a pretty dang good fourth outfielder to have at least available in the minor leagues as a guy who has, you know, a ton of speed off the bench and, you know, pairs it with some pretty good pop and really consistent, you know, gap to gap type of swing. So I, I thought uh, he was definitely the best offensive player that I've noticed in the last few days. And I'm excited to see him the next two days. I have two more days here, but he is, he, he's the most impressive player that I've so far in these games on this, in this lineup by a pretty good margin. I would say. Yeah. He just finally cracked uh, some, some, some of the top prospect lists for the Reds. He's ahead of Austin Hendrick right now. So that that's pretty wild to think about, but yeah, I mean, at 24 years old, Hey, if uh, if there's a an opening next year, I wouldn't be shocked if the Reds gave him a shot on the big league roster at least for uh, a cup of coffee at some point, especially with the way that he's performed and with his age. Uh, yeah, he's had an incredible season. One pitcher I wanted to ask you about because you saw him, guy that's really kind of just getting onto my radar. Guy I haven't been following on that close, uh, but I've started hearing a little bit more about uh, Carson Spires. He was a non-drafted free agent. Uh, Kyle Bodie, a Reds former. Uh, pitching development coordinator, whatever his title was, wrote this huge long thread actually about Spires a couple days ago, and then you got to see him pitch in person. What was your thoughts on Spires? 
Yeah, Spires was good. The The Birmingham lineup has definitely gotten the best of the lookouts in the last few days. Um, but Spires is probably the best of the three guys who started this week for the lookouts. And he, he's he got a, some pretty nice stuff. You know, he got he ended up getting roughed up a bit at the end of his start. He gave up a big home run um, earlier in the game in his start yesterday. But other than that, home run was, was giving up pretty soft contact. He was eight strikes. He had some good whiff stuff. Um, his sweeper is pretty nice. He's got a he's got a really pretty looking. I think it's a sweeper. I, I honestly I, I can't always tell the difference between a sweeper and a slider these days because there's some there's some pitches that kind of border on that edge, and I'm not 100 percent sure which is which sometimes. But I believe it was a sweeper. Um, but he he had some nice whiffs on that pitch for sure. And a guy who you know is is another more you know, advanced prospect, right? He's 25. So as a guy who was undrafted and, and just given a chance, it's it's fun to see those guys develop. And he's only gotten better throughout the season, which is kind of cool to watch because he's he's just continued to be good. Yesterday was actually the most runs he'd given up in like, I think like two months, um, at least maybe, I think it was the most runs he's given up in pretty much all season. Um, and that's, you know, it, for a bad start of his, it was still pretty solid, and I liked a lot of things I saw from him. So it's, it's fun depth to have. I don't think he's a guy you're projecting really high, but he's a he's a good depth piece to have in the roster. And and he looked he's got some he's got some nice stuff, and he's just gonna I'm sure he's gonna keep working his way up at that age. All right, anyone else that that I haven't asked you about that maybe stood out from you from the last couple of days? Yeah, today the big the big hitter of the day today was Austin Callahan, um, who just got called up. I want to say not more than about a week ago for the Reds. Um, Callahan hit a home run today that had to be oh, four fifty, um, absolutely clobbered one to right field. It was one of those homers where the right fielder like did not move. Um, so it was it was it was a nice shot. I, I really hadn't seen much of him. I didn't know much about him. Um, but he's he's twenty two. He was he was a late round pick. But he's only he's only 22. Played a solid third base. Um, he made a, he made one play today that was really nice, and he just clobbered a home run. So somebody that's worth following. Um, I think you know he was he was decent. He wasn't great in high A, um, but I think a lot of the other guys getting promoted within the system, you know, sparked him getting up to double A, and now he's looking like he could be one of the better hitters down the stretch here in in Chattanooga. Um, and I think. He hasn't done a ton so far in his first eight games. So tonight was really his tonight was his first home run in Double A, um, and his first RBIs, and it was a, it was a blast. So a guy that has some some serious pop in his bat, and I uh, I don't know how much of a of a prospect he necessarily is, but he definitely in terms of a lineup that is not the strongest. He was a guy who you know seeing him hit a home run that was just destroyed was uh, was an encouraging sign to see. Any of the uh, the White Sox uh, top prospects that they they acquired at the deadline were any of them on the uh... The Barons roster, right oh yeah, now? pretty much, pretty much every single one of them. Um, it's it's okay. pretty cool actually. I've been getting to talk to to all these guys. I've been interviewing, you know, four or five players a day the last few days, and and it's a it's a pretty crazy roster. These guys have a lot of fun, and as much as the White Sox season has been terrible, um, pretty much all of their top prospects are at the, are on this team, and they're they're a really cohesive unit, and they're having a lot of fun together. So it's been cool to get to watch that. I think there's a there's some guys that, you know, the White, there's a lot of guys on the White Sox roster between a Brian Ramos and Edgar Caro, who was just acquired from the Giolito trade. Um, I know for Reds fans, I think there was a lot of talk I've seen on, online about the possibility of what the Giolito trade was. And I think at the time, a lot of people were undervaluing Edgar Caro as if he was some, you know, washed up prospect when he got pushed to double A at 20 years old as a catcher. He hit two home runs the other night, including a walk-off um, when I was there a few days ago. He's legit. I, Edgar Caro is 
the future catcher of the White Sox, and I say that pretty confidently. So he's been fun to watch. Um, a lot of the other guys, some of the pitchers, Nick Nestrini, who was acquired from the Dodgers in the Lance Lynn trade, uh, pitched last night. And he was great last night. So it's been really fun to get to watch all those guys. And I'm uh, I'm hoping at some point next year I could see some of these guys up and potentially see them facing you know some Reds guys at the AAA level who are even better. Yeah, I thought the White Sox had a really good trade deadline. So exciting! Yeah. Really happy that you got to see some of these guys in uh, in action. As a as a Reds fan, I can tell you, uh, it can turn pretty quick. Yeah, right. This, this time last year, we were locked into Double uh, uh, A to watch Ellie De La yeah. Cruz every day. Exactly. Uh, and Matt McClain. Yeah, I got a, I got one question for you while I'm here, Nick. What are you? Uh, how are you feeling right now? What are you thinking about this 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 situation? I know you talk about it all the time, but I'm curious, being on with you, where your where your head's at right now with the Reds. I mean, like, I think the Reds have a legitimate chance here this year. I mean, I think, like, Fangraph says they're, like, you know, probably just below 30% to make the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Like, that's probably fair. Uh, I wouldn't bet money on it, but I think they've got a realistic shot, and that's far more than I ever could have asked yeah. for. Uh, I still think I'm, I'm way more optimistic about the overall future than, than, than the present, but, right. hey, man, I'm enjoying this present because uh, it, it really kind of came out of nowhere in, in some ways. Um, but another, I think it's a, a, a realistic uh, sign into the future, and I, I think it's only going to really get get better from here. Yeah, yeah, that's great. It's it's exciting, man. I'm this NL wild card race is something I I've just as a baseball fan, aside from my White Sox stuff, I I've been following the NL wild card race really carefully because it's it's going to be crazy. I mean, there's there's a lot of all the teams competing for it are very different, and they all have super elements of strength and they all have big weaknesses. So it's, it's interesting to watch a race where, where there's not teams that are, you know, I don't, at least I think maybe you could say the Phillies are the better team of the whole wildcard race. There are a few games ahead. I'm pretty sure. I think the Phillies are pretty safely going to get a spot, but beyond the Phillies, there is not a team that's like a lot better. I think they're just very different teams. So I'm really curious to see how things play out. And, um, uh, you know, as a, as a White Sox fan and partial, I'm definitely, definitely pulling for the Reds over the Cubs in that division or in that race. So, well, we loved it. We love to hear that Elijah. That's for sure. Uh, (laughs) where can, where can everyone find you? Cause you're still going to be here. Like you said, the rest of the week, uh, I'm sure you'll, you'll tweet out some videos. If there's anything interesting, where can people find you? Definitely. Elijah EV8 on Twitter. You can find me there and then uh, check out Just Baseball's account. I also work on the Just Baseball Twitter account. So there's always highlights I'm posting there. There'll be Reds content there, all that stuff. We have a lot of great Red followers, so we appreciate it. All right. Very cool. And that'll also be in the show notes uh, uh, right below this podcast. Elijah, thanks so much for joining us today. Really appreciate your time. Thanks, Nick. I appreciate it. All right. And here's Trace Fowler's interview with Charlie Goldsmith of the Cincinnati Inquirer. This interview was from back on Wednesday on Off the Bench. We'll shift gears over towards the Reds. I don't want to say the wheels start to feel like they're falling off per se, but it definitely feels like uh, the, 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 the fuel tank is starting to get low. You're around this club a good amount of time. Do you feel like the energy level is significantly different, or I guess maybe not significantly, but different than it was obviously during their run maybe a month and a half ago when, when uh, it seemed as if nothing could go wrong? Obviously, the energy level is different when, you know, there's the music playing in the clubhouse and you're winning your 12th straight game compared to, you know, what was that in the postgame clubhouse last night. I don't get a sense that the vibe is different. What is different is the production. You know, earlier in the season, the Reds, you know, one example that comes to mind, um, you know, after last night's game, the Reds had more options who were playing better against left-handed pitching. Um, the Reds have India on the IL. Senzel used to be great against lefties. He's now in AAA. Uh, Stevenson's in the slump he's in. Um, 
you know, McLean's had some ups and downs. He's a terrific player. Um, same with Ellie, just had ups and downs that come up over the cross or over the course of a rookie season. Um, kind of the cat and mouse game they're stuck in right now. Not those guys specifically, but some guys on the team as a whole. You're seeing the waves that again naturally come up, and the Reds are kind of looking for those individual answers to click for the offense as a whole to get back to the level it was at. You know, they they need more from certain guys, more from the offense as a whole. Again, I don't know that, you know, we could point to a guy or two, but I don't know that it's a team full of drastic, disappointing underperformers, but it's a, guy, it's a group of guys that's not hitting at the level they were hitting at in June. And as a result, you know, with an offense that's kind of lost some of that juice and momentum, hitting is contagious and it's just a little less contagious right now. Yeah, well, hitting can still be contagious if nobody's hitting. That is true, Charlie. Um, it's almost like the the, the the favorite phrase, I believe it was uh, Lombardi, who said uh, winning is contagious, but so is losing, unfortunately. The thing is, the thing is uh, that, that, that might be unfair for you right now that I want to ask about is there's a plethora of guys that are injured and or are trying to have different variable timetables on when they're going to come back and what impact they'll have when they come back. Um, I, I, I don't want to go through them one by one. I'll throw them all out to you, and you can maybe provide substance on whatever ones you think you have the most or best answers for. Lodolo obviously just had a rehab start. Green just had a, a, a rehab start. You have Jonathan India, who's who's frustrated right now. I don't know if you want to shine light on that in regards to what that looks like. And then obviously you have Jake Fraley, who who currently, you know, as last I checked, still is a part of that 10-day IL stint when he's going to come back. Certainly there's there's a plethora of guys that the Reds plan to get back. Do you have any updates on any of those guys of things that have changed and or the attitude behind their expectation when they come back? The only thing that's changed is India. Uh, that, that was a fascinating conversation we had with India yesterday. Um, saying things like it didn't have all the information, basically saying things were mishandled because if he he said this, if he was off his feet for and, run, and not running for two weeks from when he went on the IL, he would have been back yesterday, but he, he wasn't told that, but that was the information he got when he went to you know get a second opinion, which he did over the weekend. And they said, why had you been managing it this way? Um, he says he feels no pain. There are just micro tears that I guess have to heal. Um, but there wasn't any additional damage shown when he got a follow-up MRI. Um, India is very th – th yesterday was probably the most frustrated I've seen India. Um, with how this was handled, with how he's not back on the field, with how he's not playing even though he feels no pain. Um, Green probably back on Sunday. Lodolo still on that late August track. You know, they have some off days and stuff, so they'll figure out which day that lines up to being. Fraley, he's still pretty much off his feet. He, he did some – like some lying down, working on fielding ground or sitting down fielding ground balls yesterday, but he's not moving around yet. Um, the Tommy John guys, I'm um, hearing, you know, don't expect them to come back and save the bullpen, but they're encouraged by their progress. So the Reds are getting healthier, um, but again, the India, the India lingering IL stint is definitely the most interesting. What do you expect from the front office? Do you think that the vibe is continued to be, and I know perhaps Nick Kroll can't say this out loud. Of course he can't say this out loud. But I just wonder, and again, I'm more, I'm more or less um, asking you off of your own kind of personal belief system. This isn't, to be clear, before I ask it uh, a gotcha thing or anything like that. Or, or the, But I just wonder, when you're around guys like Nick Kroll, if they put off the attitude that is, hey, listen, I know everybody in the city is super excited about these guys and they're playing maybe a little bit better than they expected to be played. But the truth is, is that 
we still feel confident and we're not going to change one thing about what we had planned on doing before this year as we move through this year, depending on how close we are to the playoffs or not how close we are to the playoffs. Do you get the sense from the front office and Nick Kroll that they're, that they're ecstatic or pleased based off what they've seen and they're okay with the decisions, I guess, that, that they've continued to make, especially, I guess, not really going out and getting any pieces. And on top of that, David Bell sticking to, if you will, this platoon situation. Um, do you think that that's a collective effort between David Bell and Nick Crawl when it comes to the platoon situation? And is that, I guess, the expectation going forward with some of these guys? And they just know, and for lack of a better term, they know that the guys that they're playing with right now probably aren't a part of the future, but they're just going to stick with it because that's just the part of the longer-term plan? There's a lot there. Um, the platoon, I'll answer the platoon situation first and then come back kind of with that second part. Um, the platoon situation, I disagreed with the lineup yesterday. I would have Votto and, Fre and, uh, Fraley, or, and uh, Friedel and Benson in there over, you know, guys who were called up over the last two weeks, even in left-on-left -left matchups like TJ Hopkins. They couldn't find an at-bat for him in a week. Uh, and then he's starting over Joey Votto. I didn't agree with it. Um, but the flip side is they ended up getting two at-bats against righties because you brought them in off the bench. It didn't pan out. Um, but that's a question the Reds will have to answer. Um, the plan as a whole, kind of what do, what do you mean by that? Are you talking about the trade deadline? Are you talking about the offseason? Are you talking about the future projecting forward? Kind of what, what do you mean? I'm saying in regards to the, 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 the outside noise, and maybe it's a bad question, but I think that many times when, when, when we obviously interact with fans on a daily basis, um, a lot of it is frustration with the standpoint that they had made it, they made it seem as if this front office should have gone out and done more. When you get behind the scenes, do you get a sense that Nick Crawl was frustrated at all, that he wasn't able to do more at the deadline is kind of what I was getting at. And some of that probably comes off the back of that, you know, he's just maybe in the mindset that he's not really, I don't want to say not worried about the end of this year. He can't say that out loud, but do you get the sense that he just, he just was happy with where they were at and he didn't want to jeopardize anything in the future based off of one single year? Nick Crawl wanted to make a trade or more trades at the deadline. They wanted to add guys who were rentals or short-term pieces. They, you know, I know some of the, some of the names behind the scenes I've heard that, teams were asking for, and I probably wouldn't have made those moves either. What I am more critical of is what they did last offseason. They had very limited financial flexibility from the payroll set by ownership, and as a result, the only pitcher they were able to sign was Luke Weaver to a $2 million deal. Weaver made one start in 2022, and obviously has not been what the Reds needed in 2023. Um, you know, we talk about how the plans changed. Well, the plan back then obviously wasn't for this to be a contending year like it has been, and I think the the misreading on what the 2023 season was going to be, you know, you wouldn't have had to give up anything in, you know, in November for a starting pitcher who the exact same starting pitcher who you could have tried to trade for at the deadline and weren't able to because teams were asking for too much in return. Again, I get why they didn't make a move at the deadline. Again, I probably would have done the same thing with some of the names that were floating around, but kind of what's come back to bite them the most is how they approach the offseason. All right, last question I have that's more of a fun question, if anything. How many more fly balls in left field have to be misplayed and not seen before the Reds do something about the 640 start times? I think I, that's a, I think that's a conversation. Um, six, and I've heard the 640 at Great American Ballpark is one of the toughest. Like Tommy Pham stood on a, soap, a soapbox about this. He was talking about how it was ruining his – and this is Tommy. He was, he was great and he spoke his mind. Um, it was ruining his war and it was going to mess him up when he hit free agency in 2023 and all of his defensive runs saved and he was breaking that down. Like it's legit. 
It's very real. I think Spencer Skeeter's a good left fielder. I think there was nothing he could have done on that ball. And four minutes later, the sun was gone. So I think that is a, a very real conversation. All right. Well, if anything that you could do to, to point them in the direction of not doing 640 start times would be great because ultimately I think they did that just because games were lasting six hours. I'm being a little facetious. Um, games were lasting six hours, and they made the excuse that they wanted kids to be able to see the end of the game. Well, with the pitch clock, fortunately now, the, the games don't last nowhere near as long, and I think that the 7 o'clock start times, there's really nothing wrong with them because the games are still over at a reasonable time. All right, let's get you caught up on all the Reds minor league action from Thursday night. Louisville Bats, they won 6-5 in 10 innings over Iowa. Bats now 61-54 and on the season. A lot of pitchers for the Bats of note uh, pitched in this ball game, and they faced a pretty good Cubs AAA lineup with a lot of talent. Lion Richardson got the start for the Bats, three and two-thirds innings pitched, four hits, three earned runs, three walks, seven strikeouts. Line might be a little bit deceiving. He did have 20 swing and misses. So definitely was getting um, a lot of bad swings from the uh, Iowa Cubs hitters. Uh, just not exactly the results maybe he was looking for. Christian Roa, though, did get the results. Three innings pitched, three hits, only one run, one walk, five strikeouts. So good to see Reds' second-round 2020 pick Christian Roa have a nice night for the bats. And then Daniel Duarte, the guy that we will probably see again very soon, uh, for the Reds. He pitched a perfect inning with two strikeouts. I think Duarte's probably just down there as a, a numbers thing. Uh, I, I think he'll probably be back soon. Reds also probably uh, want to make sure they give him some rest as he did miss uh, most of last season with an injury. Uh, on the hitting side, Noel Marte was 0 for 4, did score a run. Jose Barrera was 1 for 4, did steal his 14th base. And then Nixon Zell, 1 for 3, hit a triple at 94.8 off the bat. And Sinzel also sold two bases tonight for Louisville. All right, down to double A. Uh, as mentioned with uh, Elijah Evans, Chattanooga, they lost 6-3 to Birmingham. Lookouts now 59-51 and on the season. Blake Dunn, 2-4 for four with a double and a triple. Reese Hines, 1-3, for three, did steal two bases. He's got 16 stolen bases on the season. Dayton Dragons down at high A. They lost 9-8 to Fort Wayne. Tough loss for the Dragons. They're now 57-54, and 54, and they are now two and a half games back in the Midwest League East Division second half race. Edwin Arroyo, though, hit his 11th home run of the season. Sal Stewart, one for five, did steal a base. He's got 11 stolen bases between a low A and a high A this season. Carlos Jorge had a really nice night, two for four. And then catcher Matt Nelson, he was three for five. Hunter Parks, the guy that... Uh, Tom Nichols, Dayton Dragons play-by-play -play announcer, says is the guy that most scouts are asking about. Uh, pitched okay, four innings, four hits, four earned runs, four walks, but did strike out five batters. And then low A, rough night for the Tortugas. They lost 10-1 to Tampa. The Daytona Tortugas now 48-60 and on the season. Cam Collier was one for three with a walk. Hector Rodriguez was one for five. Victor Acosta one for four, but did steal his 10th base. Uh, one other note, Justin Dunn, he pitched a shutout inning with two strikeouts on Wednesday night. That was his first rehab outing, and it was with the Arizona Complex League. All right, so the Reds will welcome the Toronto Blue Jays to Cincinnati for the first time since 2014. Of course, we will no longer see 
rarities like that as you'll play every team every year. So pretty much you should see every American League team at least every two years. Uh, fun tweet from Cessitas Barbecue uh, talking about this Blue Jays coming to Cincinnati for the first time since 2014. Tweeted out the lineups in the Reds lineup in that last game. Uh, Marlins manager now, Skip Schumacher, was batting leadoff. Uh, then Todd Frazier, Joey Votto, Brandon Phillips, Jay Bruce, Ryan Lowick, Brian Pena, Zach Cozart, and Johnny Cueto started that game. Some notables for the Blue Jays, Melky Cabrera was in the lineup, Jose Bautista, Edwin Encarnacion, Colby Rasmus, Brett Laurie, uh, and our old pal Juan Francisco. And the game was started by knuckleballer R.A. Dickey. But to the uh, game in this series, uh, Toronto Blue Jays, they are right in the middle of a race. They're 67-55 and 55 on the year, 7.5 back in the AL East, but they do hold the final AL wildcard spot, but their lead has, uh, has fallen all the way down to just a half game over the Seattle Mariners, so uh, they are right where the Reds are at, so a big series for both teams. Blue Jays 8-9 and nine in their last 17 games. Uh, but they did just get a bunch of players back from injury, as I mentioned um, on yesterday's podcast, including they're hoping to get Bo Bichette back, uh, the star shortstop. Friday's game, 6.40 tonight. Uh, Jose Barrios for the Blue Jays, 9-8, 3.53 ERA. Started the season very slow, but does have a 2.87 ERA over his last 15 starts. However, last start last weekend against the Cubs, got hit really hard, 9 hits, Six runs allowed against the Cubs. And the Reds made it official. Uh, it will be Brett Kennedy starting the game uh, for the Reds. Only has thrown seven innings in the majors this year, but had a 3.52 ERA in 64 innings at AAA. Assuming the Reds pitching Kennedy on Friday after an off day uh, is probably to give them more flexibility to maybe go to Ken- maybe go to the bullpen for Kennedy early and often. Uh, just checking around baseball, uh, the teams that the Reds are chasing or in races with, who they're playing this weekend. Milwaukee, they got another tough series. They play three at the Texas Rangers. Cubs, they have three at home against the Royals. Um, other teams in the wild card race, uh, Phillies have three games against the Nationals. Giants, three games at the Atlanta Braves. Uh, Marlins, three games at the Dodgers. And the Arizona Diamondbacks, they got three more games against the Padres. So in the wild card race, uh, just about everyone is playing a a tough team uh, that the Reds are currently fighting with a spot for. Well, thanks so much for joining us today for Chatterbox Reds. As I do have been asking of late, please just do one quick favor. Leave us a five-star review wherever you listen to this podcast. That kind of stuff really helps us out with all the metrics as we continue to hopefully grow the show and bring you more content. Chatterbox Reds will be live on YouTube on Chatterbox Sports in the ninth inning for Reds Blue Jays around 9 p.m. on Friday. I will actually be taking the day off from the YouTube show, but Trace will be live, and you can certainly count on him for an interesting show. Also off the bench is from 10 a.m. to noon, uh, Monday through Friday, so Friday today, uh, 10 a.m. to noon. Make sure you check that out. Trace has been hosting as Tom Brenneman is currently out, uh, so make sure you tune in to that. Well, hope that you have a fantastic Friday. Hope that your weekend gets off to a great start. And as always, go Reds.